Hello and welcome to episode 111 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast where two friends stopped arguing about movies and started working through them together. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. As we continue our gap year, we're watching Under the Tuscan Sun from 2003, directed by Audrey Wells. This movie was recommended to us by our friend, Rachel Hughes Gates, and she was gracious enough to also be this episode's special guest. We'll talk to Rachel about why she thought this was a gap we needed to address and why she thinks people should see this movie. Under the Tuscan Sun wasn't a huge hit, earning just over $43 million at the American box office, but critics were mostly positive. Many critics saw it as well-made, even if it's a little by the book. Few critics could deny the strength of Diane Lane's performance, praise which was underscored by her Golden Globe nomination for Best Actress, Musical or Comedy. Recently, audiences loved escaping to Italy with the hit HBO series The White Lotus, but many people forgot that 20 years earlier, Under the Tuscan Sun demonstrated the draw of southern Italy with much less prostitution and scandal. But what is it that brings people back to Under the Tuscan Sun? And how can we make sure that we never lose our childish innocence? Keep listening. Well, of course. We were about to take a 10-day tour to romantic Tuscany. But I don't want Patty flying during her first trimester. Small sacrifice. So, so uh, we decided to change our <clears throat> coach tickets into an upgraded ticket. For you. <laughs> oh. This is amazing. <laughs> really generous. Thank you, but no. How can you say no to Tuscany? No. Like that. That's your depression speaking. Well, it doesn't speak Italian. It speaks a little high school French. Besides, I'm not depressed anymore. Then what are you still doing living at Camp Divorce with all those losers? Be nice. Those are my people. But that's not a place you live. Guys, come on. All right. So that was Francis, uh, how she gets to Italy. Yeah, I mean, it's if you were listening to that clip, and uh, you know, she does actually end up going to Tuscany. She does. It's a little, yeah. it's a little, just it's a little unclear no. yeah. from that clip if she ever gets there. But, yeah, I guess so. Um, it would be a very different movie if it just kind of ended. <laughs> yeah. There. Um, anyways, yeah. So under the Tuscan sun, this was a uh, listener recommendation. Uh, the listener being right here next to us, actually. <laughs> so uh, Rachel Hughes Gates, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. We're doing a gap year. Yeah. This was a movie that you reached out to us and said, have either of you seen this movie? And we were like, no, we have not. So um, would it be good to start off with maybe asking, I guess just ask you, what, why Under the Tuscan Sun? Why this movie? Yeah, I guess I, had, I saw it in theaters and I hadn't seen it until last summer. Hmm. So it'd been like a long stretch since I'd seen it. And it was just a movie I popped in. I was by myself. And it just like took up a lot of brain space for me the last year. And mm. uh, I don't know. Well, I got, we'll unpack it. Yeah. Well, and one thing that is kind of a nice coincidence is that this is this movie celebrating a 20 year anniversary because mm-hmm. this came out in 2003. So I imagine just 20 years passing, you'd be in a very different place now watching the movie than you uh, would have been in the theater <laughs> 20 years ago. <laughs> yes, certainly. So how old would you have been uh, when you first I saw was, it? I uh, was like 14, 15 years old when I saw it in theaters. And it was like pretty memorable for me because I like always went to see movies with my dad and it was all like action movies and like Bruce Willis and Mm. Tom Cruise, like all of that action, action. And then my mom wanted to take me to a movie. I like never got to just go to the movies with my mom. Um, 
I was like scandalized by this movie. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, there's like a sex scene. Yeah. And I think I didn't even know what lesbians were. Like, honestly, <laughs> I think I did not know. Yeah. But um, I think it is like, still a really formative movie for me even though i had like all this like oh my gosh maybe like guilt about seeing it i don't know but like (laughs) since then any movie that like comes out and is in the italian countryside like i love it Mm. i think it was like really impressionable like call me by your name they're Mm -hmm. like really Mm -hmm. iconic episode in normal people even like Luca came out and it's a oh, yeah, cartoon yeah. and I yeah. like the Pixar one. I from know, like, and what, my was kids three, are like four years ago, Mom, something like that. Yeah, stop watching Luca all the time. I'm like, but there's the power of friendship <laughs> in Italy. Like, so I don't know. I just I think it was an important movie. Yeah. So, uh, do you have any idea like why your mom wanted to see it or like uh, was it? I mean, it was, it was a very popular movie in its day. Yeah. Well, I think. It was like Diane Lane was 37 or Mm -hmm. something when she recorded this film. And that's like about the same age that my mom was, I think. And now I'm that age. So like it all feels like pretty like personal. It feels like that's why it should be a classic because it is like really generational Mm. and really personal for a lot of women, I think. And so it's not a movie that you've like watched over the years no. what, what made you want to watch it again i think it was i was thinking about like how i was like drawn to all these italian countryside movies and i was like you know it's been a minute since i watched under the tuscan sun and then i watched it and i was like just think about it all the hmm. time i don't know yeah okay my my memory of this would probably i would have been my senior year of high school something when i when this came out so it it wasn't uh, I never considered it. I, I don't know. I, it, my my film taste at the time where it was not peak snobbishness, but it was approaching it. And I just probably thought I knew what this movie was going to be about, and like uh, I'm not interested. Um, so it, I, it that had unfortunately uh, been my mindset about it. So I had never really thought to see it until you suggested it, and I was like, oh, I'm sure there's something that. I am uh, closing myself off to by not watching it. I'm glad I, I watched it because when I did watch it, I, for one thing, I realized I I recognized like the whole supporting cast. Like in the beginning scenes, it's like everybody in it. Yeah, Kate Walsh, Sandra mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Jeffrey Tambor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't remember his name, but the guy who plays her landlord oh, yeah. is in uh, Big Lebowski. He's in Big Lebowski. He's, he's, he's the, the landlord guy. in Big Lebowski too. And he has the one-man show that yeah. they go to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and i i mean i would have been 20 2003 i would have been 20 i would have been in like an early college kind of the same as ryan i don't think i thought to sell this my mom did not invite me to go see this oh. movie with her unfortunately did she go see it though she may have she certainly i think has seen it okay. like i think maybe she went might have rented it though and i think she liked it i'm pretty sure she did um but i will say one thing as far as legacy for this movie is I, i'm a librarian I'm a public librarian and this movie it just has a really lasting shelf life on in our collection. It is, you know, one that gets regularly checked out. Um, we have these things they're called binge boxes that are like pre-curated sort of th- movies around a theme, and it's definitely featured in the sort of like cozy theme ones we have, and also the ones that have to do with like armchair travel. And it seems to me that it had a real big impact in even just the kinds of movies that got made after, focused more on. Um, sort of a a woman finding herself. And sometimes that was through like travel or food. 
you know, um, mm-hmm. and that seemed to be like, you know, movies like Eat, Pray, Love and, and, and books too, by the way, because I think that, that this book also had a similar impact in the publishing industry. But yeah, so I mean, it was one of those things where I do think over the years, it seemed like a movie that continually was like, I should probably watch that at some point. So since you're the only one of us who has a rewatch, was rewatching it for this any different this time? I know you said you saw it like a year ago, watching it to get ready to talk about it can be a different thing or just watching it, knowing that it had been something that you had been thinking about for the last year or so. Was there anything different this time rewatching it? Yeah, it was different rewatching it. Um, Well, for one, I felt like there was a lot of pressure. (laughs) I like suggested it and then was like, Oh no, if it's a bad idea. And you guys were like, yeah, let's do it. And I was like, are you sure though? (laughs) Like multiple times you guys could have backed out of doing this movie. Not a chance. Um, But my husband watched it with me, which was really fun. And we even, like, I love a theme. Mm-hmm. So we, like, <laughs> took the kids to, like, a pretty iconic Italian grocery store in Milwaukee and let them pick out lots of treats. And we had, like, big Italian dinner. And wow. then the kids went to bed. And then Ben and I got to watch it. And we had, like, limoncello. And of course, of course. He, which is not that good. <laughs> I don't like it. Um, but I love a theme. So go, you got to go for it. Um, and he had been to Italy, he's been twice. And so like they get off the bus in Florence and I was like, oh, have you been to that church? And he's like, oh yeah, I have. That's like actually a really good shot. They probably use like a wide angle lens because it's like a really smart piazza. And like, that's why the church is so iconic. And like, oh my gosh, like they're in the market. This, this movie was filmed before the Euro was adopted, right? Like, like all this detail that I would not have picked up on. It was like. Fun to watch it's like with watching him. it with a tour guide. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then uh I guess nothing was like a surprise to me, but you know, I feel like every time like a guy came on screen, Ben was like, Is that the guy, Ray? Is that the one she's gonna fall in love with? And like, cause I feel like you go into yeah, like a romance that. with like who's it gonna be? Mm-hmm. And like that's the like really cool part about this movie. I, it's I agree. just like it's aged so well. Like yeah. she didn't need like the younger guy or the like the married guy. Like there was like all these things where you're like, oh, this is where it's gonna go. And right. it doesn't go there. Like, or, or like yeah. Yeah, all the places it could go. And then I think it's funny that when it does go there, it goes there in the most predictable way. Like his name, but she even knows it's predictable. I know. You think maybe um... I'm just trying to pull you up. Pull me up? Pick me up. Pick me up. Yes, there is that chance. But you are the one who grabbed me and pretend I'm your husband. You're probably one of those crazy American women like uh, Charlie's Angels. And maybe you are going to come through me in the head and steal my car. But I'm willing to take the chance. You're willing. What is your name? Marcello. Of course it is. Everything that other movies would do and act like it's new, this movie does it and she's like, she's totally aware of it, which I think is really smart. They call out the cliches. I mean, they, he talks about how they expect American women to act mm-hmm. and yeah. she talks about how she expects Amer- Italian men to act. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that way, it's a it's a it's a smart movie. And that's the thing is, I I keep wanting to call it a romantic comedy, but it's not. Right. I mean, it's kind of like the the ingredients are there, but it's not really what the movie's doing at all. In a romantic comedy, it's a, kind of about you know the two love interests eventually finding each other, and then that's where they find the, their fulfillment. 
in this one, you have a love interest, and, and it takes a while to get there. And I'm like, is that the guy? Is it the guy? Mm-hmm. It's not going to be the realtor, is it? That's kind of that's kind of creepy. Yeah, don't you know, marriage. Yeah. <laughs> and then it finally happens. And then it kind of falls apart and you have to reorient yourself and kind of figure out, okay, so what's this movie trying to do? And it's really about her finding herself mm-hmm. through both this place, through this house, through her friends, through this guy a little bit, but more as a learning experience instead of a romantic interest. And, mm-hmm. you know, in that way it is, it's, it's like it's going for more than what your traditional romantic comedy is. Yeah. But it's got all the things that make romantic comedies nice too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like right. what, what, what is so cozy about them? Um, yeah, and ultimately she finds not needing someone to give her something, but finding fulfillment in what she can offer to other people um, through like all the different avenues, including romantically and sexually. But that's just a f- part of it that is not the point of it. But it still has the will they, won't they <laughs> excitement. And then the payoff is they won't. And that's for the best. I um, I guess I don't, I don't know how to say this in a way that isn't, patronizing uh but i i I guess i was surprised how funny it was just like little little things like her apartment the divorce like the divorce apartments just like crying the guy crying through the wall maybe i'll come over later and she's like (laughs) what am i doing no (laughs) (laughs) can't go over there yeah and also um there was a, a line i can't remember everything about the scene but where um they're talking about americans just kind of like making the world worse and then she says a lot of us feel really badly about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so aware of the way a movie can take for granted, like an American moving through those spaces and just being like, wow, this is so exotic and I'm being fed by it. And it's, but then to have people there be kind of skeptical of that. And it just, I get, I, I'll probably just keep saying this. The movie just seems so aware of all of the pitfalls of mm-hmm. movies that are like this or books that are like this. Yeah. Um, and it's, like you said, just really smart. So now you're watching it and it's 20 years later. Like, what kind of things in the movie are you kind of grasping to now that maybe are different from when you first watched it? Um, well, I'll say a pretty big difference is that 14-year-old Rachel thought Pavel was the hottest, but 30-year-old <laughs> Rachel thought Marcella was the hottest. Uh. That was a pretty big change. Um that's good. Age appropriate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> some, some growth and maturity there. Um, but then the third time I watched it, uh, Martini was my favorite. I just thought he was like such a good guy. I just really, really liked him. And I think that it's like really good to show male characters who are like there for a girl, mm-hmm. but not like oh, two people in a room together, they're going to bone. Mm-hmm. But like, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And it could have, and it didn't. And well, he even kind of said he wanted it. They even address it. I, happen. Did he say he wanted to? I don't think, I don't know. This I think is... He said he would have to make love to her if... Uh, yeah, I, I, don't I don't remember. I don't think he was offering. I think he was just sort of saying, I don't know. Everything else that Martini does is just like, he's... The good guy. And not just for Francis, like when he helps Catherine out of the fountain. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that scene is clunky, but I think it's like maybe like a cultural and language difference where he's like, girl, I know that you might need some vitamin D, as they say, (laughs) but it's not me. (laughs) Like, I can help you with lots of other things, but this is not the thing that I can help you with. Like, I kind of think that that is the vibe. I I like that interpretation. I'll go with that. Yeah. Senora, 
Please, stop being so sad. If you continue like this, I will be forced to make love to you. And I've never been unfaithful to my wife. I don't know, from a screenwriting standpoint, it almost feels like another way that it was aware of where it would go. But the characters are grounded in reality enough to say, like, that is not going to make this situation better. Like, I could, we could, but that's not going to fix it. But I agree. I I really grew to like that character, and that's the realtor, uh, mm-hmm. his character, um, a lot. He's just a stand-up guy. There's not really a bad character and actually that's what i think is also sets this movie apart is it doesn't feel the need to even show the ex or even or or even have a moment where she Mm -hmm. confronts him it is all about her this movie it's her story and it's not even her story as any sort of way that she needs to process any further Mm-hmm. whatever was going on with that marriage mm-hmm. like that we don't we as a viewer don't need to see that ex mm-hmm. she gets to the point and i think it's kind of part of the point is that she gets to the point where she doesn't feel that need to probably have to ever talk or see to that see that person ever again right but i just appreciated that about it and because you don't have the ex and it's hard to kind of fabricate someone else who's bad like mm-hmm. there's really no bad people in this movie yeah I think Catherine could have been some sort of antagonist or a weird, I don't know. She could have been somebody other than she is, but she's... That's the Fellini, yeah, the, uh, Lindsay Duncan plays, yeah, uh, yeah like Catherine. Fellini's muse. Yeah. But she's but she's also a really interesting character because she's sort of the wisdom, but she's also a complete mess. Yeah, she's so chaotic. Yeah. I like don't know how I feel about Catherine, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> she's like... I think you mentioned the word clunky earlier. That did seem like one of the more sort of clunkier pieces of the movie is everything around Catherine's character. Like, I don't really know her purpose, I guess. Well, like, other than kind of like she's there almost as like a guardian angel. Like, she kind of just tells Francis what she needs to hear when she needs to hear it. And a cautionary tale. Too. Sure. Yeah. If you try, if you, if you make it about Italy, and like the romance of Italy, this is what you're going to become. You're going to become this person who has sort of a, uh, who's not living in reality. Because again, I, it's another way the movie is smart and addressing something. Fellini is so many people's view of Italy. So now we have this character whose only view of Italy, even now, is still through Fellini. And there's good things about that, and there's bad things about mm-hmm. that. Because then you make a fool out of yourself prancing in a fountain. But you also remind someone, yeah. don't, don't lose your childish innocence, and don't forget to be happy. Oh, you're so boring. What? I said you're boring. Look at you. You're sad. Again. You're like a big black hole. Excuse me, but I... Fevi always said, regrets are a waste of time. They're the past crippling you in the present. I just... It's, like, usually in romances, it's, like, the stick-in-the-mud character who's, like, you know, like, Francis is, like, I'm afraid of everything, I can't move on. And then there's, like, the Catherine who's, like, petting the ducks and eating the gelato (laughs) and, like, you know, like, so, like, she... But I think Catherine is, like, helpful. Like, when they're Mm -hmm. at dinner, she's, like... 
uh, celebrate means single. He's yeah. not asking. <laughs> right. Like, so <laughs> she is like kind of a guide to be like, mm-hmm. I'm also not from Italy, but let me show you the ropes a little bit. Mm-hmm. I did rewatch the trailer just to be like, how come no how one wanted to watch it, yeah. this movie? And the trailer is not good. One of the biggest things that is like so annoying to me is that the washing machine that gets like electrocuted in the storm and it like Just like falls up. off the, the cliff or whatever and yeah. it's like what kind of mo- it's not ghostbusters like why are you doing this um and they like show that in the trailer like this has nothing to do with the movie at all i think that was for the younger viewers who aren't homeowners yet and they don't get the dread of like how damaged is this house gonna get from this storm <laughs> water flows at the end um ben and i were both like water damage no turn it off yeah or when the steam, when the steam's coming up from the toilet and yeah. i'm like oh that looks uh, expensive yeah. <laughs> yeah there are a few things that are sort of like oh that um, was a choice they're in the book under the tuscan sun there is like a giant storm and like a bird flies into the window so like i think that's what audrey wells was trying to do oh so you've read the book yes at some point we should talk about maybe differences um, between martini the two, was the realtor who was like very helpful and like got okay. their contractor and like was seemed like a really nice guy but in the book she's buying this house with her fiance right there was a divorce it's her new partner that she's yeah. buying the house with okay but there but like the movie there's like none of his perspective there's no like why the divorce happened like there's nothing about that in the book okay um i will say that the francis in the movie is is much more likable than the francis oh. in the book <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, too bad because she was writing herself in the book and not writing herself in the movie well we can't all be diane lane <laughs> <laughs> but even like the line like um, when she's like writing the postcard and she's like, I could even, the grape even tasted like purple. Like that is a direct quote from the book. Okay. Oh. Like, so lots of like cheesy eye rolling things are like, that's the book. It was a, a bit of a slog. Oh. <laughs> All right. So, um, and you would definitely prefer the movie uh, over the book then. Oh, yes. Yeah. It doesn't happen very often. All right. But. I guess I feel like some of the times where they kind of venture out into little scenes of, Italian cultural experiences felt a little shoehorned like the flag scene. Oh yeah. Where they're dancing with flags. Yeah. There was that whole, and I think you even said you were more attracted to him when you were younger watching mm-hmm. this. I was think it, you mentioned was it his flag dance. <laughs> I mean, boy's got talent. You can wear the heck out of some overalls, uh, yeah. some leggings. What can't Pavel do? Catch a flag. <laughs> just the one drop. No, just when he's just distracted. That's yeah, all. Yeah. But I think you Which mentioned I thought earlier. that was going to be a lot more violent for some reason. Like it felt <laughs> like it felt like it was just coming. Not that they were, it would, the movie would go there, but I just felt lying in a pool of blood. Is that what you were <laughs> is, he gonna, is that it for Pavel? <laughs> but you did you did earlier mention like kind of the idea of it of it being generational, mm. and I do feel like that is interest. It's it's it also is also very smart that the movie has that younger love story in it. It's interesting. It's like the movie doesn't. It doesn't discount that experience, but it also sort of like has a wisdom to it because you're seeing it through Diane Lane's perspective as someone older looking at it. Right, but she like and, still goes to bat for right, Pablo exactly. and Tiara right. and like yeah. believes in love again. Like yeah. his character is really important. Yeah. And against uh, xenophobia too, because there was some anti-immigrant feelings coming from her family. Right. I mean, you, you have like the, the young love 
you also have Diane Lane's sort of older experience looking at it. But I think you just have all these different types of relationships, including like, uh, you know, friendships even as well. Like this friendship that she has with Patty, who I thought was going to be done. Like after, like I, 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 when I watching it, I was like, oh, she's coming back. That's great. I you know, know, there's like gay best friend trope where it's like, <laughs> oh, they saw my problem and got me this ticket. And then you don't hear from them again. Mm-hmm. But it's like, and then Patty has problems and Francis is there for her. Like yeah. it's mm-hmm. totally a recipro- reciprocal relationship. And Patty knows about her like work process where she's like, nope, these brownies don't be fooled. That mm-hmm. means she's stuck at work. Mm-hmm. Like they know the ins and outs of each other. Mm-hmm. I re- like when the toilet is like steaming or whatever, <laughs> they just like kind of make puns in the bathroom together, yeah. mm-hmm. which is like, I love that. Yeah. Like, the friendship is so lived in to bring her back is just a really natural way to inject some new resolve into Francis to get her act together a little bit. Cause it's not just about Patty coming in and being the gay best friend to her again, but in Italy this time, but actually to show Francis, you do feel fulfilled when you are able to help people. And when you know someone and when you have a relationship beyond whatever is going on with Marcelo, I think that, getting over Marcella might not have been as quick if she hadn't had that sort of reminder of who she is and what she actually cares about. Mm-hmm. Well, and talking about the, so if you talk about the relationship with Marcello, it's Marcello, right? Or Marcello? I thought it was Marcello. But oh, Marcello. I don't know. Okay. Sorry. I, don't... I, I said Marcello. Marcello. I kind of like as far as like how that relationship unfolds and actually just kind of ends is it's nothing huge. It's just, we kept trying to meet up with each other and it wasn't working out. We kept crossing our paths and we just weren't able to get back together. And then he just basically finds someone new, mm-hmm. you know. But I think it's true to both him as a character, but also what he does as far as the sort of thing she needs to learn from him, I guess. Because I think he says, uh, at one point he says, if you smash into something good, you should hold on to it until it's time to let it go. So it's just like he kind of just frames it for her in this way of like, hey, we had a... We, we had something good. Mm-hmm. It yeah. lasted. We hold on to it and then we just let it go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? I think the foreshadowing on that is like perfect. Because yeah. a lot of times in rom-coms, it's like, I waited 17 years. It's like, <laughs> not everyone's going to do that. That's a yeah. little crazy. Like, 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 I didn't ask you to like, do that. He tried. He went to the house. She wasn't there. Like, it wasn't like, I don't think it was like a one night stand to him. I think he tried. But he's the rebound for Francis. Like, mm-hmm. I don't see them together forever anyway, so. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was charming enough that if it had worked out, I would have been like, oh, that's a good guy. But I think they framed it well enough, and it served its purpose. I think that's something that makes this movie work so well, is everything serves its purpose. Mm-hmm. Nothing is, like, the most important thing to the story or to Francis. That it's, it's varied enough that moving on feels healthy rather than... Something she missed out on or uh, A failure of some sort. Yeah, right. Yeah. Even well, though for a time, she it seems like she does think that way. She ends up learning not to think that way, which is like that foreshadowing you're talking about. Can we just, I, I just want to talk a little, let's just talk a little bit about Diane Lane. Yes. Just, just, just I mean, because to me, she's just so perfectly cast in mm-hmm. this role. And uh, as I, I was watching this with my wife, Andrea, and she doesn't remark on acting all that often but she just kind of she she just goes she's so good at just looking genuinely excited and joyful about things now i mean i i don't know you mentioned being closer in age to her changed the way you saw it do you feel the same way about diane lane or was she always 
engaging to you? I don't know that I could tell you a single other Diane Lane movie. <laughs> I'm feeling really, really seen... embarrassed no, 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 the no. spot right now. I don't know anything. No. Like, uh, but she did great in this movie. Um, A plus. <laughs> like this movie is about Francis and she sells mm-hmm. it. Like she's so good. She's exhausted. She's depressed. She like, I don't, it's, it's great. Mm-hmm. She's great. Mm-hmm. Just really engaging and natural. I wondered why she wasn't, and I know we are avoiding calling this a rom-com, but why she wasn't a bigger presence in like rom-coms because she was so good in this. But I also feel like because she's not Julia Roberts or Renee Zellweger, it's Francis's movie. It's not Diane Lane's movie. You know, it's not we're watching Julia Roberts be like lovelorn in Italy or anything. Another thing, I'm going to move on, I guess, uh, that I felt while I was watching it is that how much the clothes do the storytelling mm. in this movie, depending on um, who's wearing what, and especially Catherine with that white feather hat thing, I feel like uh, did a lot of shortcutting to, oh, we know who this person is yeah. and what's going on here. Um, again, kind of the way Diane Lane's so natural in her emotions, I feel like the clothes she wears are also believable for someone who's like renovating a house, but also looking good in Italy and feeling good in Italy. And it's just a really good mix of when to wear really kind of glamorous clothes and when to dress down in a way that's realistic. Like she's not just suddenly wearing, you know, like has her hair in a ponytail and we're like, Oh, now she's in working mode or something. Did you guys have any thoughts on the costuming or anything that uh, stood out to you? Um, just the gay in the way hat that she wore. Like she's living out of a suitcase. She got a free hat on tour. Mm-hmm. Like I'm doing some yard work. I'm going to throw on this free hat. Like being very realistic. Whatever um, questions people might have about it. I'm right. still wearing this hat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it has to strike this weird tone, right? Where, because it wants you to have a very romantic view of Tuscany. When you see like the more the, the like the, the nuns and then you see like the older man that always puts the flowers mm-hmm. in the vase, you know, and these people who still, I mean, it's just what, it's like a weekday and they're wearing like a full suit and everything, mm-hmm. you know, but then you also have the other people working and everything are wearing what they need to wear <laughs> to be comfortable. Or, you know, like you said, uh, with Catherine, the sort of glamour that she kind of has to put on and she's living out the different idealized version of Italy. So there's like the Italy that's like the Godfather, right? And, <laughs> and then there's like the Italy that's Fellini. Like the movie is very aware of all of our different um, romanticized visions of Italy and also kind of acknowledges that it is a fabrication. It's being a movie, I guess. Like it's yeah. it's doing the job of knowing that it's an American audience that kind of wants to get away for a little bit and yeah. think about Italy in a very like idealized kind of way. I mean, even the house itself. I mean, we've all had had to do like home remodels and things like that uh believe me if your wall caves in like that yeah. <laughs> you're not just picking up some boulders and taking them away and then looking and being like hey look looks pretty good Perfect. you know <laughs> yeah but still it's it's a movie it gives you that cinematic experience of what the actual character transformation is and what's going on with the character yeah i just i, I i'm i'm really impressed by how the movie is aware of what it is and acknowledges it in a way that isn't annoying or obvious it's yeah. or meta. It's yeah. just sort of like, yeah, we know we're watching a movie about Italy. Let's acknowledge we're watching a movie about romance. Let's acknowledge everything that could happen in every movie that we would expect. 
and let's not try to completely avoid it, but let's not be so hemmed in by all of those preconceived notions that we're going to be just a predictable by the numbers romantic movie in Italy. Yeah, I guess I'm going thinking back to the little binge boxes that you were talking about and I feel yeah, like so the this, library, yeah. yeah, the library. Like it could be like in a romance box, it could be like in the travel, it could be even in like HGTV if you like mm-hmm. home remodeling. <laughs> it could be like part cooking show. Like mm-hmm. it really does like a lot of work mm-hmm. in one movie. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. and I mean, I guess you don't tend to think of movies about people in their 30s as coming-of-age movies, but it's sort of like a midlife coming-of-age movie. What feels different about it for so many of those movies that address that is that it feels like a very optimistic movie, Mm -hmm. very hopeful. Like, hope is present everywhere. Even when she's feeling, like, low, there's somebody around her who offers hope, but not in any way that I feel like is just trite. I agree. Like, but all that being said, I still don't think that she comes off as like being super needy because Mm-mm. she is Mm-mm. also there for so many people. Right. Like, she's there for the immigrant refugees. She's there for the queer community. She's <laughs> there. Like, hey, Catherine needs a hand. Like, why don't you go help her? I think she really needs like a guy to help. Like, yeah. I think that she no, really sure. is like she is grieving but she still like shows up for her friends like over and over mm-hmm. again. But not in any way that people are like that you think she's being taken advantage of either. You know, it's not like one of those characters where it's like, Oh, you just need to focus on yourself more. She's just good at it and knows when to do it. I think it helps that she got completely away. Like that is part of it. It does help to reinvent yourself when you're kind of just thrown into some place. You have no idea where you're at and you have to literally build a life from scratch. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm turning 40 this week. That's its own kind of fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to come out wrong if my wife and kids are listening. <laughs> but, but you know, you get to a certain age and everything, and you do kind of wonder, like, what if you did just have to completely, like, start, start over? over? That'd be so frightening. Yeah. But, I, I mean, you, you use the term midlife coming-of-age movie, and I think that's very, like, accurate. Like, it does feel like a lot of the coming-of-age movies that you watch about, like, younger people finding themselves. It's just kind of nice to see one that's about someone who's older doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Did you also get the sense, too, on top of the sort of uh, fantasy of getting away from your family? Is that what you were describing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, let's just go with that. Why not? (laughs) There's a... I think there's a tendency to romanticize your youth. Mm-hmm. And I think that is another thing that the Pavel Fiorella, is that the girl? Chiara? Chiara? Oh, Chiara. Um, that romance that, between the, the two younger yeah, characters. I just think that the tendency to romanticize like young love and like maybe like a romance with Pavel would be something um, worth desirable. A, worth, a, worth aspiring to. Or, yeah, yeah. But then you see that you know, like they're having sex in her bed and like all of the things that come with that sort of like young romance that she's like, Oh, I'm really glad I'm past that. Point. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it just kind of addresses that. It just, I just feel like this movie addresses every thing that could come up. Yeah. I mean, that's a tricky, that's a trick to play to sort of like look at young love through her eyes and still not just completely like shoot it down. Yeah. It's not cynical. It's not cynical about it, but it is saying yeah, but that's not where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. I'm grateful and yeah. past that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to talk about Marcello. All right, let's talk right. about Marcello a little bit. I think there's something that he does in the movie 
that was really, really powerful. And I think most women would connect with it. But I want to see if you guys can figure Probably it out. Jeez. Okay. Wanna... Wait. So you that's it? We have to figure out what he did? There's, There's yeah, something he like did. There's like really, really like brilliant writing. Love it so much. It's the scene that I think about the most. Okay. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Putting, putting us okay, on the spot here. Okay. So wait. Yeah. I am putting you on the spot. So this is this something... something he says or does. Or is. <laughs> One of those three. You're not going to give us any sort of hint? Uh, uh, I mean, before they like have the talk that like it's going to happen. Okay. Okay. Is it that he uh, tells her she should keep the kitten? You think it is the kitten. It's pretty cute, but that's not it. Okay. Is it before they go to his restaurant? No. Is it the scene with his niece? Is it that he tells his niece to have more ice cream? ice cream? Yes. Oh, instead of saying you've had two, you need to stop? Amore mio. One gelato. One gelato. E quanti ne presi? Due. Solo due ne presi. E vattene a prendere un altro, vai. Ora me lo faccio prima. Vai, 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 vai. Corri, veloce. Maria, dagli un gelato. Bello grosso, eh? I think, like, most women have had, like, shame with what they eat mm-hmm. or body image stuff like that and it was like jaw on the floor so nice that this niece is like please can i have some more ice cream and he's like how much did you have and she's like i already only had two and i feel like yeah and he's like well of course you can have more like i think he just makes himself known as like a safe person to mm. ask for pleasure mm. um, oh. and for like a nine-year-old girl that's like ice cream on the beach mm. and a 30 year old girl sometimes that's ice cream on the beach you know <laughs> like but like i think of like uh little miss sunshine do you remember when she like orders the a la mode at the restaurant and mm. everyone is like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right uh yep. are you uh the cal like that's mm-hmm. like such the american version of it like mm. that's like the italian dream is to just be like sure get some more ice cream mm. yeah and that'd be so fun well, and I th- you use the word pleasure, and I think that that's, that's a lot of what Marcello embraces. Sort of like our ideal of Italy is that it's a place that you can go and just experience pleasure in life, yeah. you know? And he kind of embodies that. That's smart writing, not only in that, like, it informs Marcello and the audience's opinion of him, but it also is permission that Frances hasn't been allowing herself because every time something comes up, it's, I should be writing. Or, you know, like there's all these reasons why she isn't allowed or shouldn't be allowed to indulge in something. And the pleasure of it is never a good enough reason. I, I guess I just kind of glanced over that scene. So it's yeah. really interesting that, you know, that that really stuck with you. And I could see that being something that would be, it definitely informs the character a lot. Mm-hmm. One scene that I really liked and that I didn't expect is the scene with the camera when she's taking pictures of her with the Polish mm-hmm. yeah. workers. That's kind of one of the one of the few times where I think I noticed like what the movie was doing, you know, like because it freezed on them with the black and white shot and everything. But I just thought it was this very touching way of showing that these are also memories that she's building with these people. And that when you, when you invite people into your life or when you actually like take the time, cause I mean, obviously she hired them to do a job, so they could have just been that to her, 
people who come and do a job. But she decided to kind of let them be a part of her life. And so when you take these photos and there's these snapshots and these stills where they're like in very like just happy poses and happy positions, you know, it kind of just cements for me as the viewer that this is sort of like what is key to life. By inviting people in, you're building memories for yourself. Mm -hmm. But I just like the idea of like taking a moment to show like literal snapshots, Mm -hmm. I guess, of all this that's going on. Mm -hmm. Just those little touches that are really effective at driving the point home in various ways, not just like repeating itself. Right. So Rachel, I know you were, at the get-go, you were saying, why is this movie occupying so much of my mind? And I guess I'm just wondering, like, you know, through maybe talking it out or watching it more intently, like, do you have any kind of answer to that question or any thoughts on why it is something that has su- had such a resonating impact on you? Oh, maybe, like, it just does a lot of work in one movie. Mm. Um, maybe, uh, it, like had a pandemic baby, like traveling's mm. not in the cards right now. Like maybe it is like a escape. I don't. Um, is there a reason that when we ask people to suggest movies that they think we haven't seen, is there a, mo- a reason that Under the Tuscan Sun came to mind? Is is there something you wanted people to see? Um. Well, I didn't think either of you would have seen it. So <laughs> I thought that bet. was a pretty safe bet. It, it is like written by a woman, directed by a woman, stars woman. It tells women's stories. Mm-hmm. Like, um, But I'm glad that you guys seem to yeah. get a little bit out of it as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I like, honestly, I like showed up like a little bit ready to scrap and oh. for you guys to not like it, but <laughs> <laughs> you guys have like really nice things to say. I'm like, I'm glad that you like took the risk to watch it because I feel like I was like talking about it to some other people and they're like, why did you choose that? And, um, but well, like, I stand by it. Like, yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I won't say it's a perfect movie, but I right. did really enjoy it and the things we've been talking about have been things that i wouldn't have thought to look for in it if i hadn't been watching it this way um and i also am really glad that you were here to talk about it because one i wouldn't have wanted to have just a talk with nate and then have you listen to that and be like no what that's you missed the ice cream um uh but I think that your experience with it 20 years apart is also really interesting to think about how you would see it when you were 14 versus how somebody would see it when they were closer to Francis's age. I feel like watching it and talking about it is, is just a further exercise in like being more gracious than my former movie watching self had been. And, uh, meeting a movie where it is rather than where I am. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause I, I was actually um, talking to my wife about this where I think in the past, I only knew how to watch movies in this very binary way of like, did I like it? Did I not like it? Period. And I find that, you know, through the podcast and also just through like trying to be more open as a person, taking the movie on its own terms, what's the movie trying to do? Do I like it for that? Or do I not like it for that? And I feel like this movie is one that I probably would have written off even a couple years ago because, you know, in some ways it's not really a movie for me, <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, 
And this movie to me is a type of fantasy, like most movies are. It's a fantasy about taking some control over your life and trying to make it better. That like a life that needs changing, you can decide (laughs) to just do it differently, to remake it, to remodel it, to go buy somewhere else, to move someplace different and to just make your life not necessarily better or like, it's just about choosing different paths and like choosing to make your life different than what it is now. It's like not just being static and staying in the same place. And I think this movie presents that fantasy in a lot of really compelling and useful ways. You know, like if it's not the home remodeling that's doing it for you, then maybe it's the romance that's doing it for you. But that romance not isn't really the purpose of the movie. And if it's not the romance, then maybe it's the young love that's doing it for you. If it's not the young mm-hmm. love, then maybe it's the community and the people and the, you know, the the friend that come, that's always there for you and has been there for your entire life. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like this movie is just a big stew of like all these different ways that you can have like transformations in your life. And Diane Lane is just a great actress to be that vessel, I guess, for people who want to have that kind of fantasy experience in a movie. And it's valuable. I think it's a valuable Mm -hmm. thing to sit there and have that, especially like living and coming out of a pandemic. You know, a lot of us are kind of looking at things now and and wanting transformations, wanting to rebuild our lives in some way. And this movie can kind of hit, I think, in those moments and, and be a pretty powerful thing. And even though it's such a massive change for her, it really is a series of like recalibrations, which makes it less of a fantasy and more of like a a reminder that you may not need to overhaul your life, but just know that you you can make changes. You can improve things right. and you can be more of the person you want to be. It like totally has that fantasy, totally. But like she still has like yeah. an abandoned pregnant friend show up on her doorstep like just even if you leave like problems still happen and it like Mm -hmm. addresses that pretty realistically yes i agree it's not complete fantasy but then it like she gets her wish at the end and there's a wedding in the house and the family in the house maybe even a new love interest maybe you you know like her, her dream came true like the checklist it like you know there's like I'm so type A, like when your checklist gets checked off, it's so good. And like that happened for yeah. Francis. So everything she wanted, like, yeah. Okay, so you were just saying you're very type A, very organized. So what do you make of the whole idea? Like they talk about the ladybugs idea in this, about mm. how you actually need to let that go. And then that's when the good things come to you. And then that's the guy at the end. She, he picks a ladybug off of her uh, arm, know. you know. You just you don't buy that part. No, <laughs> that's the, that's the fan. That's, that's the fantasy. fantasy. That's the fantasy. No. <laughs> you make your you make your magic happen. No, I I would like to believe that good things will just come to you, but I think to my core, I'm like you just gotta work hard, and that's and it's good things the, aren't coming. You gotta work, work harder. Is the pleasure and the checklist is the dopamine, <laughs> and you check it off, and then you get more dopamine, and it's so good. Keep doing that. Go. Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rachel, as uh, as Ryan said, I'm also just very appreciative of being able to talk about this movie with you uh, on, the, on the podcast, uh, because again, I don't think it was a movie that I would have necessarily picked up on my own. So thanks for recommending it. And also thanks for all your insight here yeah. and uh, all of your viewing experience that you brought to the podcast. I feel like I definitely need to watch it again with like a theme night, though, because I just watched it last night and I didn't do mm-hmm. it up. 
You didn't even make your own focaccia or pizza crust? <laughs> Ryan. I didn't. Not last night. I feel like it's a movie that's like best yeah. enjoyed with a glass of wine. Oh, in I, know that like, yeah. I know that now. I know that now. Um, I'm I'm gonna have to do it again. We did it That's all wrong. Saying. Kind of what you're. We really at, screwed it up. I know. Well, it's it's an amazing it's amazing that we even like the movie still. That, Without we that, did, we didn't do that. All of that. I can't imagine how much more. But anyway, thanks again, and we'll talk about what we're gonna do next time. All right, yeah. So for uh, our next episode, so first of all, we need to kind of say I don't think we've kind of announced it yet, but we are gonna kind of switch up our our schedule right. a little bit for the podcast. Uh, so this is our May episode. <clears throat> So we're going to kind of do two months on for a season and then take a break. So um, one we, month break. Well, yeah, we're going to do we're going to do uh, two. <laughs> you're messing up the math already, Ryan. I'm sorry. Uh, for me, you were actually correct in the math. All right. But uh, yeah, so we're looking at two, two episodes and then we take a, a one month break. So right. we just did our April and May episodes. So we're going to take a little bit of a break in June, give ourselves a, a bit of a summer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, soak up the sun, mm-hmm. relax on the beach. Yep. And then it's straight back to work for July. That's right. So um, we are going to be doing a July episode, and right. we are going to keep with our gap year theme, and we're going to fill in a gap, a movie that we really should have seen by now. Right. I think this one fits the bill quite well. Probably. Of something that our listeners are going to be like, what? Yeah. What? Some of them. Maybe you should unveil it. What's, what's the movie that we really should have seen by now? Well, we, we're, we're going for a summer kind of blockbuster feel. Uh-huh. Um, and so we're going to one of the big summer blockbuster stars, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Of course. We're going back yeah. to, I believe, 1987. Okay. So maybe listeners, 86. maybe you're starting to pick up on this a little bit. And this is the uh, classic? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's become like it's its own series, series, franchise yeah. thing, you know? I really need to watch the most recent one. I hear it was very good. Uh, the movie is Predator. Yeah. Carl Weathers. Carl as well. Weathers is in it. Uh, Jesse Ventura is in it. I mean. And honestly, there's not a whole lot more I know about it. I uh, Same. I think the Predator is invisible. Doesn't he? Have, okay, here's the, here's the other weird thing. I have seen Alien versus Predator. Have you? <laughs> I bet you were lost. I didn't know what was going I knew the alien stuff. Yeah, right. And then Predator came out. I don't get this part. This doesn't make sense. And then they came on screen together, and I'm like, I get half of this. Yeah. Half the screen I get. Now, I I have, I've, I've kind of felt like I should see Predator. I was like, okay, like, probably should, you know. Mm-hmm. I've seen Rambo. I've seen some of that other stuff. I've seen Commando. Terminator. Yeah, Terminator, of course. Yeah. Um, but then the thing that really made me want to watch it is actually the most recent one, Prey. Mm. I mean, we could. I mean, I'm not saying we'll do the episode on both, but I mean, I could try to try to watch try Prey to watch too. them both. Too. Do you know anything about Prey? I know. No, I know nothing, Ryan. Well, Prey is about the first time a predator came. I think it's in the Ameri- in the Southwest, American Southwest, and the predator fights against a Native American uh, like warrior. Okay. Whereas the original Predator is more central. It's like jungle, Central America. I'm not sure where. I, okay. I, it does, I, I think it is jungle. I'm, I'm just reading that this is the IMDb synopsis. Okay. A team of commandos. So I've seen Commando. Yeah. So I'm sure it's... probably you, seen. You know. Yeah. So now you're going to see Commando versus Predator. Commando versus Predator. Yeah. If, you, if they would have called it that, because I'm very much about versus. Versus movies. Predators. Yeah. <laughs> so a team of commandos on a mission in, cent- in a Central American jungle find themselves hunted by an extraterrestrial warrior. Yeah. And I'm guessing anybody who is a Predator fan is like, this is the worst conversation I've ever heard about Predator. <laughs> right. And doesn't give them hope for oh, actually episode. 
having us watch Predator yeah. and talk about I'm it. I'm going to do my homework. Yeah. I'm going to try at least. Somewhat. Somewhat. Like what? What are you talking well, about? Well, I just mean that like <laughs> I'm going to, I'm not just. Because we just the, had a guest, Rachel, who read the book in preparation. Right. She cooked a special meal and got special drinks just to watch it. What are you going to do to do your homework? Well, well I'm okay. Well, uh, so uh, how, I don't believe this was based on a book. So I don't think I'll be reading the Predator book. You uh, don't? Yeah. But, well, it was an Ernest Hemingway short story. <laughs> okay. I, think I thought it was Old Man the Sea, but I guess it was Old Man versus Predator. Yeah. <laughs> the great Hemingway classic. Yeah. But novella, really. My, my homework, I think, is going to. I'm so I'm going to watch the movie, mm-hmm. which is already, you know, uh, that's, my leg. That's compared, enough. Compared to most episodes, that's enough. We're on our way, right? Yeah. I'll watch the movie, but I do think I'll watch Prey if I can. Okay. But also, that's I, as much as I, I would commit I, to. What I mean by homework is I want to. I want to dig into the fandom a little bit. Okay. Like I kind of want to like I'm going to read up on some like articles and some debates around oh. Predator. Okay. <laughs> What are the predator debates? Do you I, think? I, I don't. I'm just guessing they're out there. Okay. Listeners, you tell me. I feel like uh, that might be a debate. I don't really feel like wading into. <laughs> but well, obviously, all that to say, like predator. Like, okay, they've they've got sequels, right? Beyond just prey. as far as I know. So I don't know that I'll watch all the sequels, but like I will. Not. I might. Another aspect of my homework will be Rewatch pulling Alien up versus pulling up the Wikipedia uh-huh. and looking at you know the 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 ongoing what what happens with the predator. In the series, where they go with it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what are you gonna do, Ryan? I'm gonna watch Predator. I'm gonna watch, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna watch right. Predator. I didn't commit to any homework, though. I didn't start. <laughs> I, I only didn't meant, start swaggering around the room. I only meant acting like I was gonna <laughs> what, into what, this. What, I, what I'm trying to say here is, if there's a listener here who really loves Predator, a and can do our homework us, for us. Tell, tell us what you think. Tell us why you love it. Maybe even consider coming on the podcast. Sure. Maybe. Okay. But there's that. But but then set that aside for the larger mass of Predator fans mm-hmm. we have right now. What I'm just trying to get across is I'd like to think we might have something to say in our discussion that they would still want to listen. As opposed to what we're doing right now right. where they're kind of like, why the I hell understand. would I okay, listen I to a Predator you, yeah. episode well, obviously, when these guys yeah. don't know? They're gonna, Maybe I want them to first think, episode. okay. The episode's not till July. Nate's going to do his homework. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. There's going to be some okay. more context you. provided. You're going to yeah. Promising that this won't just be a conversation. This isn't just going to be about our ignorance of yes. Predator. This isn't just going to be. Look, I don't know anything about Predator. Yeah. But I watched it, and I still don't know about the Predator. Okay. But I watched it. Yeah. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to do our due diligence. Yes. Watch the movie. Think about it. Talk about it. Right. And uh, if you want to talk about it, you can join us. Please. You can uh, Please do. offer to be a guest on our podcast. We'd welcome that. Yeah. And if you don't want to be a guest, we have all sorts of ways that you can talk to us and That's give true. us some at least a little bit of feedback, a little bit of stuff we can think about going into this. Yeah. Give us your feedback. To listen to or comment on this or any of our past episodes, find us at canwestillbefriends.net or email us at feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. You can find us on Facebook at Can We Still Be Friends Podcast or Instagram at Can We Still Be Friends Pod. And if you would like to leave us a voice message and, uh, you know, maybe even be featured on the podcast, you can call us. The number is 847-306-9532. Or you can always email us a voice memo. As always, we'd love it if you could subscribe and leave us a rating or a review at Apple Podcasts. Those ratings really help spread the word about our show. 
Can We Still Be Friends is written and produced by Ryan Ebling and Nate Goss and edited by Nate Goss. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Fortunately, me, me, my mom go to movie. Me and my mom go to movies all the time, but um, <laughs> me, my, me, my mom go to movie. Me, my, me, my mom go to movie.